Thank you, Pastor Mark, for that prayer supplication. So many needs. So many great needs. Brothers and sisters, we serve a great and awesome God who is sovereign and on the throne and able to do all things. And I find great comfort in that and I'm sure that you do too. I wonder just out of curiosity how many of you like myself might be suffering from what I, I have termed as the Olympics fatigue syndrome. You know, they stay on all day. Not that I watch them all day, but usually I start plugging in in the evening when I'm winding down and getting ready for bed and that kind of thing. And, and they go on late, later than my bedtime. And, you know, I keep saying, oh, I'll just see this race and then I'm going to turn in. And then sure enough, they'll say, oh, but the women's relay team is coming up, you know, or, you know, this men's race or, or swimming and, and I'll stay up way. They've got to finish these Olympics. It's killing me. <laughs> and, and then I find myself, you know, particularly with the American teams, you know, investing in watching them and trying to follow along. And, you know, I feel like I'm running along with Bolt and some of those others. And, and uh, but... Uh, Wow, it's great. Isn't it wonderful to see how God has blessed these young men and ladies to be able to perform so wonderfully and so superbly. And, and I, I, I thank the Lord that He has protected them as Pastor Mark alluded to in the prayer of supplication. But anyway, maybe after tonight's closing ceremonies we can all get back to normal schedules and everything. But it's been great. This morning I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the uh, book of... Ephesians chapter 3, and, and I want to use this portion of Scripture as a preface or introduction to the, the body of the message that I'll be focusing on a little later. And, and looking there in chapter 3, verse uh, 14, in this wonderful epistle that the Apostle Paul is, is writing to the church at Ephesus, and, and I remember as we walked through the book of Acts and got to chapter 20, and Paul is uh, on his way to Jerusalem where he knows he's in trouble, he knows he's going to be arrested, he knows there's no good coming out of this, but he knows that the Spirit of God is leading him. And, and as he's coming near the city of Ephesus, he sends word to the elders of the city, the church there in Ephesus, to meet him at the port nearby, because he's, his time is limited and he's got to keep moving. And so sure enough, they got the word, they came, they met. And, and what a glorious reunion it was for Paul with these elders of the church that he had poured himself into. But I remember as they were getting ready to say goodbye, and Paul was telling them basically, you know, this will be it, gentlemen. You, you, many of you won't see me again. They realized that based upon what they had sensed the Spirit impression upon their hearts. This would be the last time they would see the beloved apostle on this side of eternity. And it says that, that they uh, knelt down, Paul knelt down and they gathered around him and they prayed together and, and they fell upon his neck and they were they were crying over him and, and kissing him and just it was just an emotional just a, a wonderful uh, example of, of brotherly love and, and to this group Paul is writing this wonderful epistle and, and so as we begin in, in verse 14, and I want to try to keep moving along here, but it's, it's so wonderful. It sets the, the tone for what I want to share with you in just a moment. Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees. And that's reminiscent of him being at that port with the elders there on his knees, praying and pouring his heart out. 
Obviously, when Paul says he falls on his knees, bows to his knees, he's saying that in a spirit of submission he does this. This is a time that Paul is submitting himself to to God. And and also Paul is moved with great passion in this prayer. And and the scripture is, is... full of illustrations of godly leaders like Ezra. And then there was Daniel when they faced uh, great needs and circumstances and they were moved deeply in their spirit. They fell on their knees and and prayed. And and Paul is not suggesting that this is the only mode of prayer and the only position of prayer. But there are times when we are just so humbled by the power of the presence of God that we submit ourselves, we demonstrate our submission by falling on our knees And so Paul says, for this reason I bow my knees. And it would be reasonable for you to ask, since I just plopped you right down in the middle of that chapter, what reason? And it's interesting because you have to go back to chapter 2, where Paul has already shared with the church at Ephesus, the leaders at Ephesus in chapter 2, Paul is saying, it is for this reason that I bow my knees. And I'll take you back to chapter 2, if you just turn back a page there. And let's just look quickly at some of the things that Paul has already revealed to them by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's writing to Gentiles. He's writing to people who were not a part of the the, the family of Abraham, who were not promised the the promises of, of Abraham, and weren't under that covenant, if you will. And he's writing to remind them of some wonderful things that, that our God has done. So, so focus your attention first of all. And just remember Paul is saying, for this reason I bow my knees. Number one, in, in verse 4, chapter 2, Paul says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love, which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Just remember, Paul says, you were spiritually dead. And God, because of His rich mercy, He's made you alive in Christ. And it's only by grace that you're saved. He said, for this reason, I bow my knees. Drop down to verse 6. Paul says, and this same God, notice the focus is on God the Father. The same God, he says, has raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. When Paul says he's raised us up together, he's saying Jews and Gentiles, it's a miracle. And, and, and to the people of that time, it was a miracle that they could consider themselves to be one body, one family. And Paul says God's going to raise us all up together as one, as a demonstration of his great grace. Then we drop down to verse 8. Paul says, and it's for this reason that I bow my knees. He says, for the, by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, lest anyone should boast. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, if you're here today and you're a born again believer in Jesus Christ and you've been washed in the blood of Jesus and you live in the promises of knowing that you are a child of God and all the spiritual inheritances of heaven are yours, something ought to happen in your spirit that would cause you to drop to your knees at some point and to say, oh, hallelujah, thank you, Lord. That is by your grace that I'm saved. I don't have to earn my salvation. It doesn't come through the merit of my works or rituals or religion. In verse 10, Paul says in chapter 2, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. We are his workmanship, Paul says. For that reason, Paul bows his knee. Drop down to verse 13 in chapter 2. Paul says again, for this reason I bow my knees. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been made near by the blood of Christ Jesus. Listen, every Jew would have told you in the first century there's no chance in hell. Now, not a snowman's chance in hell that a Gentile will ever see heaven. He will ever see the kingdom of God because they're far off. They've been stretched out there. They were enemies of the people of God. And Paul says, those of you who were far off, it's the grace of God that has drawn you near and brought you into the family of God. Paul says, when I consider that, I drop to my knees and I praise God for that wonderful reality. In verse 16 in chapter 2, Paul says, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. He's talking about the enmity that existed between Jews and Gentiles. He says, listen, it is a miracle. It is a mystery how God has brought these two uh, groups together who were once enemies who would never fellowship with one another and he's making them brothers and sisters in Christ. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Do you ever stop and think about what the body of Christ the, the, the wonderful diversity that makes up the body of Christ. Every nation, the Bible tells us, in heaven, every nation, every tribe, every tongue will be represented. Every four years we get a sampling of that coming together of all the nations in the Olympics. And it's a wonderful thing. Even nations that are warring against each other or don't like each other. They send their people, their athletes, and they come together and there they compete. And it's a a great thing to see athletes congratulating one another from different nations and, and functioning together for one great event. Listen, that greatest event is going to occur one day. When Jesus Christ comes to receive his own. In verse 18, Paul goes on to say again, for this reason he would bow his knees. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Amen. The the spirit of God. God makes us available to to the Father. And he's saying to the people of Ephesus, you were Gentiles, you are Gentiles, and now you are made a part of the family of God. In verse 19, now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Paul says it's a wonderful thing to consider the fact that you were considered a stranger, you were considered a sojourner, you were considered a foreigner, you were an outsider, and God has brought you on the inside. Listen, ladies and gentlemen he's talking about us there's no biological descendants of Abraham in this crowd that I'm aware of which means we're all Gentiles and it's only by the blood of Jesus Christ and by the grace of Almighty God that we find ourselves adopted into the family of God and we will receive all of these wonderful blessings that he talks about in verse 22 of chapter 2 he says in whom you also are being built together for habitation of God in the Spirit. Listen, we are the dwelling place of God. Paul said, just consider this fact, if you will. God has taken building blocks who are Jews. God has taken building blocks who are Gentiles, all washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And one by one, He's building a habitation A place, that's what he says there. We are the habitation of God. God will dwell in us. And as you recall, as we finished up on our study of heaven in that wonderful, great and glorious conclusion, when when John is given that revelation of the, the, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven upon the new earth there, 
And he makes it quite clear that now God is dwelling among man. Listen, God will dwell in the very presence of mankind. And the habitation of God Almighty will be the, 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 the body of Christ. We will not only see him, but we will be with him and we will be like him. And Paul says for this, as I take you back <clears throat> to chapter 3 and verse 14, Paul says, for this reason, <clears throat> for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, the emphasis Paul is putting here is on God the Father. That's not to diminish the importance of God the Son or God the Spirit, but you start with the Father. Jesus always started with the Father. He says, my will is to do, my purpose is to do the will of, of the Father who sent me. Jesus made it quite clear that he was here to glorify the Father who had sent him here. And Paul is saying, it's for the Father we give the glory. Look at verse 15. From whom the whole family in heaven and in earth, on earth is named. Every born again believer, Jesus Christ belongs to 